There's going to come a day in your life. It may be today. It may be a long time from now. It may be this week. But there's going to come a day in your life when you're going to need your church family. We like to think that we are self-reliant and self-sufficient. We like to think that we can handle anything and everything with just a little bit of encouragement. But there comes a point in our lives when we need the family of God. Now the other side of that thought is this. I cannot draw money out of a bank that I have not invested in. I, I can't go to a bank that I don't have an account in and say, hey, uh, my name's Michael Cat. I can show you my driver's license. I, I'd like $1,000. Well, Mr. Cat, do you have an account here? No, but I'd like $1,000. Well, sir, if you don't have any money in this bank, you can't get any money out of this bank. Uh, well, it's a bank, isn't it? Well, yes, it's a bank. Well, you got money, don't you? Well, yes, we've got money. Then I need $1,000. But you're not a customer here. Well, I should be able to get $1,000 because you have $1,000. I got $1,000 over somewhere else, but I just don't happen to be there, and I'd just like to get it here. The bank teller would probably be pushing a button under the counter at some point to say, we have a problem, we have an issue, and let's get somebody here to help this guy deal with reality. The reality is you and I are going to need the church. I don't mean just need the church. I mean need the church. That day may be closer than you think. Randy and I were talking before the service this morning and, and about this message, and this has been a real struggle of a message for me. And, and uh, he said, you know, we had a couple that slipped in at the early service at our church, the 815 service, and they'd slip in, they'd sit in the back, and they'd slip out, and they never connected, and his wife died, and nobody even knew who they were. That's why we tell you you ought to get involved in a connect group because there's going to be a day when you're going to need to call somebody and there's going to be a day when you would wish that someone would show up at your house with a casserole and say, oh, look, I know things are stressful right now. Could I help you? Could we just do something for you? There's going to be a day when you need the people of God. Say, so, well, I got Jesus. Praise God. I do too. But sometimes I need to see Jesus with skin on. I mean, sometimes I just want to see people that are acting like Jesus that are meeting me at the point of my need. Which leads me to another thought. Church is not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. You see... If I expect church to be all about me, now I'm coming here and I want you to serve me and I want you to sing for me and I want you to do for me and I want you to plan for me and I want you to provide for me, but don't ask anything of me. That's not church. That's not church. Church is not a one-way street. 
you know, there's a law of the harvest, and we simply apply that to some things, but we don't apply it to all things. The, the more I invest and sow in the kingdom of God, the more it seems God allows me to reap. And that has nothing to do with money. It has to do with life. It has to do with life. My kids used to complain. They'd say, Dad, we got to go to church Sunday night? I said, yep, we do. Well, the only reason we're going is because you're the preacher. I said, no. If I was a plumber, we'd be going. Because the Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And if God's people are gathered, I want to be gathered. I want to be gathered. I want to be with them. I said, if I was a plumber, we'd be getting up we'd be going. Oh, yeah, sure. No, it's true. I love to gather with God's people. One of the unique things about this church is when it's over, people linger. I've been in churches where when it's over, people are running to the exits. But one of the great things that God has done in this church is that people linger. I mean, you can be here on Sunday night, and there are 100 people still standing around 30 minutes after the service over just talking, just hanging out. Why? Every Sunday's a family reunion. Every Sunday's a family reunion. Every Sunday's a time when we get together. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. That confession of Christ is the Messiah, the Lord, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can I tell you something? God doesn't have a plan B. The church was his plan. The covenant is made with the church, the people of God. And so it's not religion. It means that church is not facilities. It's not programs. It's, it's not methods. It's not organizations. It's not a denomination. Uh, Jesus died and we live. Jesus loved and we love. So if we take the New Testament seriously, then Christianity, apart from church, is a contradiction. If we take the New Testament seriously, Christianity, apart from church, is a contradiction. Now, you've got in your notes about Jesus talking about the church and Christ and the church being like a, a husband and a wife. He, he's talking about this is the true church, the remnant. You know, Southern Baptists have about 16 million members, and the CIA couldn't find about 10 million of them. I mean, you want to talk about people off the grid? You know, there are people living off the grid. They're up in the mountains. They don't have a social security number. They don't have anything. I want to tell you, there are millions of people that are members of churches of all denominations that are off the grid. Their name is on a roll, but they are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They joined a church somewhere, but they never got Jesus. Because if you get Jesus, you want all that Jesus has. And you want to find a church where Jesus is alive. And where he is honored, you want to be a part of that remnant and that true church. And, and one of the things that I think is hypocrisy in America today is the church complains about the culture but doesn't want to engage the culture to change the culture. We, we point our fingers at what's wrong in Albany, but nobody wants to pick up a cup. And nobody wants to wash any feet. That's what Jesus did. 
Nobody wants to go make a visit in a prison. Nobody wants to love the unlovely. Nobody wants to touch the untouchable. And God has called us to impact culture. We are to be salt and light. Guess what? Salt is good because it keeps things from decaying, but salt is an irritant too. Light is good because it casts away darkness, but light also confronts and exposes. Chuck Swindoll said, instead of fulfilling our clearly defined God-given mandate, a large number of Christians have set their sights on myopic and selfish involvements. Instant gratification is fast replacing eternal goals. God's stated action plan for the church is being eclipsed by a man-made assortment of activities that ranges from the spurious to the scandalous. So the one thing I would say is don't confuse religion with the body of Christ. I I don't even like to refer to Christianity as a religion because religion is man-made. Religion is man trying to get up to God. Christianity is God came to man. Uh, You can be religious and lost. Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Christianity is that God took the initiative to provide a salvation for you and I that we could not get on our own. Religion is I'm going to work harder and maybe I'll get enough good brownie points that when I get to the gates, God will let me in on good behavior. You see... Christianity is a religion. It's one of the world's great religions, but it stands alone because it is by grace through faith. It's what distinguishes us from everybody else. Religion is draining because religion is filled with legalism. Do this, don't do this. Do this, don't do this. Christianity is about who you are determines what you do. Christianity is not about rules and regulations and getting all the dots in the right places. Christianity is life. Last year of Manly Beasley's life, he and I were preaching together in an event, which if you want to know what intimidation is, preach with Manly Beasley, who lived for 20 years with five incurable diseases and spent a year in the hospital and would get out of the hospital room, unplug, go down the street and preach, and then have somebody carry him back and plug back in uh, to all the medicine and stuff he was on. I mean, he's a remarkable man. Was starting to lose some, some of his extremities, his fingers and, and his toes, and we were in an outdoor meeting in Arkansas. And I was preaching and he was preaching. And I mean, something happened in that worship service, and it was full-on flesh. I mean, just flesh. That when Jesus was nowhere to be found. And so I was on the front row, and Manly was three rows behind me, and, and I just kind of looked over at Manly, and he had this nub of a finger right here, and he's going. And I, me, come here. And I went over to him. He was in a wheelchair. And I leaned over and I said, Manly, what do you need? He said, I need you to get me out of here. I said, yes, sir. So I rolled him out. 
And as I rolled him out, I got three other preachers that were there, and I said, come with me. And what was going on was still going on. Now, you would think that what was going on, when all the preachers in the meeting leave, somebody would have stopped and said, what's going on? And we went to a room, and, he, and Manly said, I'm not going back in there because Jesus is not there. And we got down on our knees and prayed. And we prayed for about 20 minutes, and we went back in. And Manly preached. And he stood at the pulpit quietly. And this is what he said. Not everything that happens in the house of God is of God. And before that night was over, every person that was on that platform came to Manly and asked him to forgive them because they said, we were just trying to show off. We were just trying to show off. Can I tell you what religion does? It shows off. Religion struts. It shows off. Christianity moves quietly, but obviously, in the lives and through the lives of people. It's not busyness. That's not what we need. You, know what I mean? you can be as active as a one-armed paper hanger in a windstorm and not be spiritual. Activity is not spirituality. Just because you can check all the boxes on the blue envelope doesn't mean that you and I are walking with God and actively a part of the church of the Lord Jesus. You see, we've done something that the enemies of Christ can never do. We've either made him boring or we've misrepresented him so much that he's a caricature of what he really is. We've either made him boring or he's a caricature of who he really is and what he really is. And a lot of that is because of American interpretation of the Bible. We read our Bible with our American preferences on top of it. But spirituality is about life. It's about the invisible becoming visible. It's about a church being alive with the presence of God. We talked last week about that we need a church and we need to be the church where the presence of God is perceived and the power of God is realized. When, when I got saved in the Jesus movement, we were having prayer meetings and, and young people would walk in off the streets and had no idea what we we're doing and could not get halfway through the back door and would fall on their knees and say, somebody tell me how to be saved. You see, when the presence of God is in his church, lost people come and they don't even know why they're coming. They just know by the Spirit of God drawing their hearts, tugging at them, I need to go somewhere and find an answer. Maybe you shared with them, maybe you didn't, maybe nobody shared with them. But I want to tell you, the presence of God is hard to define, but Manley said, his absence is easy to detect. I, I've been in church services where the presence of God was so thick, you couldn't cut it with a knife. And I've been in church services where the presence of God was so absent, I wanted to get out as quick as I could. 
you may not be able to fully define what the presence of God looks like, but you ought to know when it's there. I grew up in the deep south. It, I was probably a teenager before I realized God wasn't Southern Baptist. I met people in other denominations that loved Jesus. You know, we, we, you know, we Southern Baptists sometimes get a mentality, folks, of us four and no more. Everybody was just like us. Thank God, everybody's not just like us. But, you know, here are the things that I heard growing up. This is not church, by the way. You know, if I join that church, it's good for my business. If I'm visible in that church, it'll help my business. I went to a church where our business meetings looked like a third world coup to take over a nation. Rules reigned. Religion reigned. There's no life. I mean, our choir would do a production, and they'd do this big production that the pastor's wife wrote. Thank God my wife doesn't do this kind of stuff. They did this production that the pastor's wife wrote and this other lady in the church wrote, and it was called The King is Coming. They ripped off more ideas that were copyrighted than you could possibly imagine. And, and, they're, they're, and before the performance, I remember because I was one of the little actors in it, before the performance, you could hear people in the choir fussing at each other and griping about their kids and griping about their husband and griping about their wife and griping about their job. The king is coming. The king is coming. And I knew as a kid, one of those is not real. Either what they're singing is who they really are or what they're doing before they walked on stage is who they really are. But one of those is not real. That's why when Jesus is talking about the church, he's not just talking about a building with membership. He's talking about a remnant of people that represent him well, that cannot be shaken by what's going on in this world. Religious people choose a group to meet with based on sociology and economics and skin color and likes and dislikes. That's what religious people do. You can't find that in the Bible. In fact, Romans 10, 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Colossians 3, 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and sickening, slave and freeman, but Christ is all in all. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a good statement for evaluation of a church. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Now, if we were to do a survey of this room, we would come up with a lot of right answers and good answers, but they're partial answers. You know, why are we here? 
We're here to minister to widows and orphans. We're, we're here to share the gospel. We're here to reach the next generation. We're here to worship. We're here to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We're here to pray. We're here to comfort others. We're here to stand for social justice. We're here to teach the word of God without apology. And all of those are true, but they're part of the whole because what Paul says is whether, that's a broad answer, whatever, that's a broad word, You do it for the glory of God. Now back up a few pages to chapter 6. Now remember, Paul is writing to a church that is carnal. They're not functioning the way the church is supposed to function. And so Paul keeps teeing it up and saying, I'm going to get your attention by telling you why you're here. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father or our Father who's in heaven. You see, our reason for existence personally and corporately is to glorify God, is to ask ourselves the question, are we in what we're doing, in the ministries that we are offering, are we doing it to the glory of God? So what does it mean to glorify God? Number one, glory refers to light. Remember the glory of God showed up in the tabernacle. The glory of God showed up in the temple and it was the Shekinah glory of God. It was light. God led them by a pillar of fire. Jesus is the light of the world. We are lights to point people to the light. Secondly, glory refers to that which magnifies, exalts, and elevates the Lord. So if that is glory, then what's in it for me is the wrong question. If the glory of God is to magnify, exalt, and elevate the Lord, then what's in it for me, and scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, is is the wrong idea. And thirdly, glory is God's alone. God shares his glory with no one. I cannot take glory and give him all the glory. Ron used to talk about the fact that we get through with big things, you know, in a church, and we do some big event or whatever, and then we get up and we go, well, I'd like to thank brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so, and and I'd like to thank, and all of you that did this, I'd like to thank you. Would you just raise your hands? Let's see where you are. I'd like to thank you, and let's let's thank these people over here. And oh, we forgot to thank the other folks that did that. Y'all raise your hand, and I hope I didn't leave anybody out. There's too many names to mention. I'm just so thankful for everybody did everything. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and God bless you, and God bless you, and now let's just give God the glory. Well, we took all the credit. We took all the credit. I mean, Vance Havner looked at me one day and said, Son, why should I thank you for doing what you're supposed to do? I got it. I mean, he was scrawny enough I could have whipped him, but I got it. Why should I thank you for doing what you're supposed 
to do. What am I supposed to be? I'm to be a servant of the living God. I'm to offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is his reasonable service. I'm to render myself for his glory. So we better let God define the church. Paul gives us these images, these pictures of the bride, the building, the body. He, he does all of this. Layman Strauss said about the image of marriage. He said, so sacred and binding in the marriage union between husband and wife that Paul uses it as a fit symbol of the blessed relationship between Christ and his church. So there's an image of a bride, there's an image of a body. By the way, this is not a church. When a board runs a church, it's not a church. When the pastor thinks it's his church, it's not a church. The body of Christ has one head, one head. Anything with two heads belongs in a carnival. The body of Christ has one head. And every day when we wake up, we report for duty to the head. He's the king, and he's not in second place trying to get in first. He's the king. He's the Lord. And we report to him. That's the church that's unshakable. The church that can be shaken is the church that if they don't get their way, all of a sudden, But the church that's unshakable knows that it is God's church. Again, quoting Swindoll, he said, No matter how it may appear to others, if the church is something that God has chosen and God is pleased to use it, it's a big deal. Chapter 2, Paul calls it a building that we are fitted together. Chapter 2, verse 21 of Ephesians. Corey ten Boom said, Be united with other Christians. A wall with loose bricks is not good. The bricks must be cemented together. So my challenge to you is do you have a faith and are you connected in such a way that when you need the church and when Jesus needs his church to be its best, are you in the game? Are you on the front lines? Dr. Havner used to talk about people being AWOL, absent without leave. We live in a day where faithfulness is being redefined, but God has not redefined faithfulness. We live in a day where people want to decide what faithfulness means. It's not our decision to make. Faithfulness means faithfulness. That's not legalism. Listen, if you really understand that Jesus Christ, sinless Son of God, gave his life for you, took those nails, took that beating, took the crown of thorns, and took your sin, then you would be bulldog loyal to what he died for. And he's coming back for the church. He's not coming back for these buildings. He's not coming back for programs. He's not coming back for Baptist. He's not coming back for Sherwood members. 
He's coming for the church. And the church are the people of God that are sold out to the Son of God and filled with the Spirit of God so that by the power of God, they can be the people of God in the world that needs God. That's who we're supposed to be. Well, I've heard this probably a thousand times. But today I'm just going to quote some and try to read it because I'll lose my place in it. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he had forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, that he had stilled his voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river cannot be diminished because it's forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunlight after it's fought its way through solid rock. There have been times when people like Simon the Magician sought to barter on the open market, that power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people, men who cannot be bought and women who were beyond purchase. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly diluted by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. But God has always had a people. It's been gold-plated, draped in purple, and encrusted with jewels. It has been misrepresented, ridiculed, lauded, and scorned. But God has always had a people. There have been times when the followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of the time, elevated as sacred leaders and martyrs, martyred as heretics. Yet through it all, there marches on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people who cannot be bought, flattered, murdered, or stilled. On through the ages they march, the church, God's church, triumphant. Listen, child of God, his church is alive. Discouraged pastor, it's his church, and it's alive. Lonely missionary, sow the seed with confidence. Old saint, you're not alone and forgotten. The church is alive. It's alive, my brokenhearted friend. Busy mother, cast your care on Jesus. The church is alive. Young student, you're not alone in serving the Lord. The church is alive. So family of God, raise your hands and praise the Lord because the church, God's church, triumphant, is still alive and it's still well. his church now I want you to remain standing if you need to be saved today you can come find one of our men and we'll be glad to meet you and to pray with you and let you meet with a counselor and talk about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ if you want to talk to someone about being a member of this church we'd be glad to talk to you 
we're going to sing an invitation song, but it's not an invitation song. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what I tell you often. You got to drop your jaw and open your mouth because the devil is trying to shake the saints. He's trying to shake our city. He's trying to fill us with fear and anxiety and uncertainty. He's trying to make us think that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know, and that God doesn't care. But we will not be shaken. So we're going to sing, and then Ken's going to come, close us out. Listen, folks, there's a lot stirring right now. Many of you know some of the things that are stirring that are heartbreaking. There's a reason why God, how many months ago, 10 months ago that I picked the theme for, there's a reason why God led me to unshakable as a theme. There's a reason why our men are preparing for refresh with the theme of unshakable. The devil is trying to crush us. He's trying to crush Southwest Georgia. And it's gonna take a church somewhere with somebody, with a group of people that say, not today, not today. You're not gonna win it today. The church is still alive.